without any more intro, I'm going to invite Jeff up, and he's going to tell you a little bit more about what is going on there, and then he's got a great message that God laid on his heart. So, Jeff, come up. Good morning. How is everyone? Very good. So Tim told me I have uh, two hours with you guys, so I'm very grateful for that. Very good. Well, you know, today we gather together. Uh, it's a beautiful day. It's our first time in Virginia, and it's just absolutely gorgeous here. We have fell in love with uh, Richmond. It's very nice. Um, we look around and we say, man, just God is just so good at how, just the beauty and the trees and the colors. So I'm from Las Vegas, Nevada, and uh, we just, we, we don't. We don't get that. So <clears throat> we're, we're almost in a, in, in a whole different world um, for, for me. And then my wife's from uh, Florida. Is, so it's flat and, you know, it has its deal there. Um, today, I want to share with you guys uh, about the Lord, Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Huh? Do you know Jesus? Okay, what do you know about him? Do you know about him or do you know him? Okay. And I want to, before we get into uh, about Guatemala, uh, about being a missionary, I, I'm actually very challenged to, to go through pictures and all this kind of stuff because it, it can kind of um, look like, hey, look what we're doing. But to be honest with you, it's not look what we're doing. It's looking, look what God's doing. It, it's all about him. And, and for, for you to understand that, I want to tell you just a little bit of where I come from. And uh, first of all, when I tell my testimony, I tell you guys, first of all, I'm from Las Vegas. And everybody goes, okay, it explains everything, right? <laughs> okay, so you were, you were in trouble from the get-go. <clears throat> so I grew up in Las Vegas, and uh, I grew up in a, you know, a Bible-believing home. But as I grew older, um, I started getting opportunities to make decisions and be influenced uh, before, um, I had a mom that was, was very Christian, and she was, she was a praying mom. Any praying moms in here? Yeah? Amen. If you're a mom, be praying for your child, okay? Um, and, and don't stop, and don't stop. So uh, my mom was praying for me, and I was just a wild child. And, you know, uh, I played sports. I had no need for Jesus. I was uh, definitely my own God. I thought I was, the, I thought I was God. And, um, you know, I got into the, the, the girls and the drugs and the alcohol. And um, as I grew up through high school, um, that just continued to, to grow, grow, grow. And once I was in college, um, you know, I went on a uh, two-year college. And, you know, I went for four years, if that gives you an idea how that went. And, and so um, that was very challenging. And so from that, <clears throat> uh, I, find, I found myself in my early 20s lost, addicted, drunk, womanizer. You know, when we talk about addiction, normally some of them have one. You know, I, I looked at my life, and I was faced with it, and I had all of them. I, I was just very hopeless. I was walking the streets of Las Vegas, and, and I was just hopeless and, and, and addicted, and I was starting to look around, and I was seeing some of the homeless people on the street, and I was like, man, that's where I'm headed. You know, I, I'm so on the highway to being there in the next 20 to 30 years. 
And, and so from there, I started to really kind of say, you know, what do I do now? What do I do? I had no, no idea. But my mom, the praying mom, she says, hey, go to church. And I was like, ah, those people are just different. And, and, and thank God that you are different. <laughs> and we are different. Because if you were the same, yeah. So, and, and so I was uh, going through this, this battle. I'm like, I can't go to the church. It's just weird. And they're not me. And, you know, they're not cool enough. And Christianity is so boring. You know, that was kind of my thought. You know, you just kind of give your life to the Lord. And, and then you go to church. And you give them all your money. And then you just sit there and you wait to die to go to heaven. That was my perception on, you know, Christianity. And um, so moving forward with that... Um, finally got to a place where I tried everything. Tried everything, and mom, praying mom, was still, hey, go to church. So she didn't budge, and so finally I, I went to church, and, and I gave my life to the Lord at that point. And, and, and it wasn't just uh, I gave my life to the Lord, and, you know, I was this seasoned saint right afterwards. You know, there was this battle, and this, this battle that took place um, it, for, for my soul. It, you know, you've got to know that it's a spiritual battle. It, it, there's a war that's taking place for each one of us. And, and so Jesus is the victor. But um, at this time, I, I gave back in. I went back into the world. After about three or four months, you know, I was in the church. And I was going and I was trying to attend. But I just didn't have anybody grabbing a hold of me for some discipleship to really teach me the way. Because I was a lost soul. And so um, from there, uh, just so happened, my grandfather passes away. My grandfather passes away, and my aunt and uncle, they started a church 30 years ago or 20-something years ago in Florida. And so they came out to do the funeral. Well, through that funeral, they're like, hey, we know that you, know, you, you started with the church, and, and we know where you're at now. You're all the way back here. Um, why don't you come to Florida with us? and change your life, and I said yes, and so seven days later, man, I'm on the plane with a bag, left everything, I thought I was leaving everything in the world, like it was the biggest decision, I really had nothing, <laughs> I, I had nothing, I was a loser, absolutely, it was such, such a big deal, so I left on the plane of Florida, and then for three and a half years, I began to just unpeel my life, and just be in a men's discipleship ministry where they taught me how to be a man of God. They taught me how to uh, teach the word. They taught me how to live for Jesus, and I found out it's not boring. It's not boring at all. Matter of fact, it's exciting. I just had a wrong perception of what it was. And so my story, and I tell you that before I go forth with these pictures, because it's, it's all his grace his mercy, and his love. Can I tell you, I stand here before you as a man that has experienced those, and I understand that I stand here today by his grace, mercy, and love. And what I'm about to show you is just absolutely amazing. I'm going to brag on Jesus for a minute here, and we're going to take a look at some pictures um, and, and take a look. So I've been on the missions field for eight years, okay? And uh, we were in... The, in Mexico for three years. That's my beautiful wife, two boys, five and seven. Um, and then we got a call to go to uh, Guatemala. 
Okay, so how it worked was this. Let me let me share this. So I was in that discipleship ministry for three and a half years. I was learning and unraveling and trying to figure out life, and it was great. It was a beautiful training. Then from there, the pastor says, "Hey, I want you to go on a missions trip." So, okay, you know why not? Didn't want to be a missionary, just go. Okay, so I went. From there, then I had an opportunity. It was over six weeks. I had an opportunity to teach school, and the guy then says, "Hey." what about you coming back for a year? I said, never thought of that. Okay, this is getting a little more serious. So then I went back to Florida. I did some training. And then a a year later, I went to Mexico to be a sixth grade teacher. In the process of that training, I meet my beautiful wife right there. Yeah, a little round of applause for her. She's, yeah. And so... From, from that, uh, we had our children, we're in Mexico, we're living it up, we have, you know, God is using us, doing amazing things, and then um, God says, hey, go to Guatemala and help out um, these Christian skaters, okay? So I took a group from Mexico to Guatemala, just on a short-term trip, so be careful when you sign up on the short-term <laughs> trip. I can't promise you you'll come back, or if you come back, it'll be for a short stay. So we went down there, and, you know, a year later, me and my wife, um, we're packing up our bags, and we're moving to Guatemala to start a church. Then we take three, uh, one Colombian with us and three Mexicans with us, and we're off. And so we show up, and everybody says, so what do we do? And I'm like, that's a good question. All right, let's pray. Let's get into the Word, you know. Let's figure this thing out. So this is now five years later, this is where we're at. So now we have a, um, two services on Sunday. Uh, we just started. We're somewhere around a couple hundred people. And you know what's been good is your, you guys' team really has helped us each and every year. So this is what our sanctuary looks like. And church leadership, super important. Um, you know, if you have the gift of leadership, if you have a heart, you know, just dive right in. Even if you don't, just dive right in. Um, small groups. Um, what we did is we don't have a midweek service. What we've done is now is we have um, small groups throughout the week, okay? And it's getting more people involved in each other's life. It's creating a little bit more community um, there in Guatemala, Church outreach, it's, it's part of our DNA. Uh, we not only uh, host missions teams and do a bunch of uh, outreaches, but even throughout the year when we don't have missions teams, it's a part of our, our DNA. Uh, we just had these recent baptisms. Um, it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? And uh, you can be there. Sign-ups in the back. No. Uh, and so... Uh, we just had, I mean, you know, our last baptism, we had like five people and now 18. It's just amazing what God's doing. You know, in five years, a couple hundred people. Um, you know, in this last year, uh, we've doubled in size. So it's just really happening over there. We just had our first men's conference. We had 50 men that show up. And um, there was, you know, father and son restoration. There was uh, many men that, you know, rededicated their lives. Calvary House. Calvary House is that men's discipleship that I went through that taught me 
how to get my life on track. And so um, we, we've started one here in Guatemala and has just been absolutely amazing. And so we take in kids or young men that are struggling with anything. You know, there's actually somebody that really just says, hey, I want more discipleship, you know. So they enter in the home. It's a year-long program. And um, there's work, you know, there's uh, Bible study, there's outreach, there's evangelism. Um, we really just disciple them um, in the ways of the Lord. So let me tell you about Paco. Paco, um, I, I visited him a couple of years back in the hospital. I get a phone call. Hey, I need you to come and visit this uh, young man. He's, um, his half-brother actually works on staff at the church. He says, man, he's in trouble. He's in trouble. So I show up. Half of his head is cracked open. It's stapled together. He was in a gang fight, got blasted with a uh, metal pole. And so we have this serious conversation, and we start talking about the Lord. You know, I said, what do you want for your life? You know, I give him the gospel. He accepts Jesus. He comes into the Calvary house and spends the next year and a half in the Calvary house, just completely changed and transformed his life. Now, his family is all Catholic. And so... Um, in this ministry, you would only have visitation on Sundays. And so they would come on Sunday, and, and they would come at the end of service. So it'd be like right when I'm wrapping up, they would walk through the door, and it was just to visit their son. And then all of a sudden, I see him coming, you know, like 10 minutes, you know, a little bit earlier. And then 20, and then 30. And then all of a sudden, I'm seeing like, what are you guys doing here, you know? And, and, and then we have a conference, and, and it was on a weekend on a Saturday, and they're there like 20 minutes early. I'm like, are you here to visit Paco? No, I'm here for the conference. And so the great thing is he just came back. He's halfway through his uh, uh, first year of Bible college, and he just came back for that baptism, and he baptized his mom, his sister, and his brother. Super cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, this is God. This, this is what it's all about. You know, this Christian faith is not boring. It's not, it's only boring if you're not really doing anything, if you're not a part of it, you know? And so when you look at these stories, now we have the lighthouse. The lighthouse is a girl's uh, discipleship, and we take in girls that have been sex trafficked, sexually abused, or even on drugs. And so uh, it's, it's kind of a, uh, it's the sister of the other ministry. And so also um, we have a school, and I'll show you the, a few of those pictures later, um, but what they do to help out as far as work goes is they cook uh, lunches for our school. Delma is, um, let me tell you a little bit about her. Um, so she came into us and, man, she absolutely has lived a life that I wish upon no human being. She has been sold into prostitution uh, by her own brother. Um, she has been, you know, abused physically. Um, she has witnessed other girls that were in that same thing, uh, you know, same sex trafficking being murdered. Um, and so the things that this young girl has, has saw and has been through has, has absolutely just been uh, hor horrific. But, you know, when you put somebody before the Lord and the Lord just and, and their hearts are there and they're, they're open up and they're surrendered, you, you begin to see the transformation and the healing uh, that the Lord gives and it just has been amazing now her mom and and her brother uh, actually the whole family you know they hated us because she was a source of income for them 
And so for her to come into our, our home, uh, matter of fact, one of her brothers came and busted out the windows in our house. And so we went through it with this girl. But can I tell you now? Every Sunday, I give her mom a hug, and she's showing up in the church. Amen. Yes, this is huge. This is huge. Yeah. Also, her brother, he was in prostitution. He was a transvestite as well. And, and I mean, you know, every time you ask him how he's doing, it's just like almost tears. He's just so, he so has experienced the grace of the Lord, the forgiveness of the Lord, and the mercy of the Lord. And he's just so blessed to be in the house of the Lord. And so, what amazing, amazing testimonies from, from these two. And there's many, many more, but obviously for time's sake, uh, we'll, we'll move forward. Now, our school, our school has been an amazing, amazing ministry. You know, uh, we've been in existence, this is our third year. Uh, our first year, we had 12 kids. Second year was 49. And now we, are, we have 85. So this is more than just uh, a school. Uh, it's discipleship. You know, we, we tell the parents... Um, it's 80% bilingual, 80% English, and it's 100% God. And so we really focus in every aspect of our education um, teaching the Bible. And so this was one of our uh, plays that we did for the parents, and we have the parents come every three months, and we, I give a message, you know, and, and they don't have to be Christian. So uh, we actually do have a couple Mormon kids and Catholic kids, I'm not quite sure. Like, if I was their parent, what they're doing, but they're getting the word, you know? And so, um, you know, we've had parents as well. You know, I give, I give a message, and they're like, you know what? I want more of that. Okay, I'll see you Sunday. You know, you got 9 or 11. You choose. And so it's just been an amazing. Now, our church plant. So in five years, this is all in five years, guys. So now we have a, a new church plant. Matter of fact, uh, your church helped us launch this uh, when you guys were there this last year. And it's in Panajachel. It's about an hour and a half away. Um, right now, um, it's running about 35 adults and 30 kids. Yeah. So another cool thing from this is our men's discipleship uh, house. Um, there was a guy that went through it, and then we sent him to Bible college, and then now he's running this. Wow. Yeah. So it's amazing. Young adult ministry. Got a bunch of 20-somethings that are just on fire for the Lord. This is our high school ministry. Get an idea of our facilities as well. They do skate outreach. And then there's the last uh, picture. That was a, a little conference uh, retreat that they did with the high school. And dramas. Dramas are just phenomenal because you don't need a language to do dramas. And so when you guys come over, you know, if you can do a drama, it's amazing, amazing. Very good. So here's what I want to share with you. Yeah, 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 give it up. Can you imagine what God can do with you. Can you imagine? Because you heard my background, you heard my story, right? 
old junkie, drug, drug addict, alcoholic, lost on the street. I've talked to some of you guys who seem very intelligent, well-equipped, yeah, got it together. But if, if God can do all of this with a drug addict, with a broken man, what could he do with you? Have you ever asked that, self, that question to yourself? Well, <clears throat> I want to encourage you. If you have not signed up for that Guatemalan trip, uh, ask somebody. Ask somebody that has been on that trip. How is it? And they will tell you life-changing. I will tell you life-changing. Take that time to do it. It is so, so amazing. Now, I'm going to tell you this. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what size you are. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter. I had, how old's Emma? 74 or something like that? She's not older? Yeah. So Emma, 74. And I'm telling you, she was probably one of the best missionaries we've had. Just amazing, tender heart for the Lord. And so I want to encourage you. Sign up. Sign up. It will change your life. Have you ever asked yourself what this life's about? You're born, you grow up, you know, you go to school, you get a job, right? You get a house, you raise your kids. Like, is that it? Would you think that there's a bigger purpose? There's a bigger purpose, there's a bigger call. Sometimes when you're going through life and you're, you're, you're going through it so fast and trying to do all of those things, trying to obtain all those things, that you're looking through life through the lenses at like this close. And you can miss it. But times like this, we should step back to take a look at, hey, man, what, what really is it all about? What really is it all about? If you will, open your Bibles to Mark, the book of Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2. So today I'm, I'm trying to challenge you. As I was looking into this message and I was looking into this time, I'm saying, I'm looking at him saying, God, you are so good. You are so good. And, and I'm going to ask you again, you know, do you know Jesus? And you're going to say, yes, you know, and I say, okay, how? How do you know Jesus? God is so big. He's bigger than you. He's bigger than he's created you. He's created everything. Well, and, and I just want you to zoom out for a minute and just take a step back to take a look at life and what it's really about. As we look through those pictures, as we see God changing lives, as we see God's grace being poured out, as we see his love, as we see more people, you know, it's, it, the church is growing and exploding. And as I understand it, it's doing the same here. Why? How? Is it just community or is it a move of the Spirit? In the book of Mark, I love it. It, it, it is so action-packed. Let me just go with chapter 1. Chapter 1, this is how the book of Mark starts out. First of all, John the Baptist, he prepares the way. 
Then John baptizes Jesus. Then Jesus begins his Galilean ministry. Then he calls the four fishermen. Jesus casts out an unclean spirit. Uh, He heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then Jesus heals many other people that they were bringing from all over the Galilean area. Jesus also cleanses the leper. Now, I want to share this. This is chapter 1. This is chapter 1, guys. That's exciting. That is a lot of ministry. That is just a, a, a complete move of like, wow. Let me ask you this. In your relationship with the Lord and your walk with Christ, have you had that, wow, like this is exciting. I'm just holding on. When you look at those pictures and you say, oh, you know, I'm just holding on. And I'm just like, wow, I'm so blessed to be a part of what you're doing. This is not just showing up to church and sitting there and listening to the word and then leaving and continuing a routine. This is like, what? Are you kidding me? Healings? Deliverance? This is amazing. That's chapter one. But we're going to go into chapter two. Let's take a look at chapter two, verses one through four. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer any room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, They let down the bed on which the paralytic was laying. Okay, stop. What is this? Are you kidding me? So we go from, okay, uh, Jesus healing a leopard. He's healing everybody. Then there's an unclean spirit. The guy's convulsing. This is like getting way out of control, would you think? And then now? Now there's all of a sudden, Jesus enters Capernaum again. He goes back into Peter's uh, house, and he's in there, and he begins to teach the word of God. And what happens? People come. People want to hear the word of God, the true word of God. Amen? I know you guys believe in the word of God here. Yeah. And so now the house is flooded. You know, the, the houses back then, they're pretty small. But it's flooded with people, and people are coming out. And all of a sudden, there's these four guys jogging down the street with a paralytical on a mat. Now, first of all, could you imagine how heavy that is? Right? Unfortunately, I had to carry a casket not too long ago, and it was the casket was nothing, but with the body in it, it was very heavy. And so that dead weight is just absolutely heavy. But you got four people around, and they're carrying this paralytical. Why? Why would they do that? Then they see that the house is full. The house is full, and they're trying to bring this paralytical to Jesus. Why? Have you ever thought about that for a second? And you're like, that's great faith. Because I want you, the next time you see someone that is uh, doesn't have the capacity to walk, is paralyzed, you would think, hey, I'm going to go take him to Jesus. Right? You didn't think that. I mean, I didn't think that. Right? 
But these men, they just had this great faith. And they're like, you know what? We got to take them. We got to take this man and we got to put him before Jesus. And they start going. And, and, and this probably took some effort. This took some time. This took some strength. And my question to you is this. How, how are you taking people to Jesus? Yeah, sometimes we just have a hard time saying, hey, would you, would you come to church with me? No? Okay. Yeah? You know? And then it's like, uh, it's raining. Uh, you know, it's far. You know? And we come up with all these different excuses of why we can't. Ah, you know, Uncle Bob, you know him, man. He doesn't want anything to do with the church. You know, I've asked him how many times. Now, I want you to take a look at this, man, this scene. And so as they approach the house, as they approach the house, and they see all the excuses coming before them, what did they do? They climb up on the roof, on the roof, okay? Now they're really getting crazy. And they begin to un. Ravel the roof. They're digging in the roof. Now, think about what that means. Their reputation, right? I mean, think about all of a sudden if somebody just starts banging through the roof. And, you know, you're like, hey, do you have any, like, courtesy here? Jesus is teaching, you know? You know what I'm saying? It's like, what's going on? You're interrupting us. And sometimes we can get that way. But they didn't care about the reputation, you think they called the insurance company to come out and fix the roof? No, there was a great cost. They weren't worried about the cost. They weren't worried about the reputation. They were worried about the call. And they took it serious. They knew that they had to do one thing, and that was to get this man to Jesus. And what about you? Everybody has family, some friends, people in your community, Maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your child that needs to come to Jesus. Are you willing to do, are you willing to go to the great extremes to bring him to Jesus? Now, here's the thing. You're still asking the same question I'm asking. Why? What, what about these guys? These guys are like just over the top. They're like, they must be pastors or missionaries, would you think? Right? Because they're doing that. Or maybe elders will just, you know, they're the super Christians. They're just simply believers. And so now they begin to, to break into the roof and think about this. This is with their hands, guys. They didn't go down to Home Depot and, and go buy a shovel. Their bare hands is breaking through the roof in order to make this happen. And can I tell you, discipleship sometimes is like breaking through the roof with nothing but bare hands. It can get ugly. It can get bloody. But when you look at life transformation, like those videos, when you look at life transformation like my life, that I'm married and I have kids and that I'm pastoring and that, that we're, we're continuing to give that back, it's worth it all. But the question is, are we doing it? Is, are you giving anything? Are you being used? You know, we, we look at God and we say, amen, God is so good. But are we experiencing this? These guys gave no excuses. They didn't give up. They didn't care about the reputation. They didn't worry about anything. They were committed 
And here's one, one thing that I, I, I got jotted down here. They were selfless. They were selfless. Because if you look at this whole picture in your mind, they weren't thinking about themselves at any point. They were thinking about this man needing to get to Jesus. What about us? We live in such a selfish society. They're all about us. I need to take care of me. I need to take, you know. But, you know, everyone, which, every one of us that sit here today, okay, God used someone to bring you here. Somebody cut me off. It's not a good time. All right. So here's the question. They ask this to yourself, because I ask this myself. Why? 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 Why would these four guys, they're not pastors, they're not missionaries, they're nobodies. Why are they so, just so impulsive, and, and they're going to this great extreme to bring this paralytic? A man that probably hasn't walked his entire life to Jesus. Why? 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 Go with me to Philippians chapter 3. I believe we find our, our answer here. In Philippians chapter 3, you got Paul, he's writing from prison. He has already been down the road for 30 years of ministry. He's been beaten, he's been shipwrecked, he's been persecuted, but he's also, in the process of all that, has planted a lot of churches. Paul is amazing in the work that he did. But you ask yourself, well, why did he do that? You know, why? Why did Paul go to these great extremes that we look on it, but we don't? What is it? What's the disconnect? So here in chapter 3, Paul, he goes on and he gives all his credentials. He gives all his trophies. He says, I am all of this. I've done all of that. But in verse 7, he says this. But what things were gained to me, these things I've counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence, the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and, that, that, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. Let's check this out. Pay attention. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What is this? What do you mean? So all of these things... And he gives this concluding statement that I may know him. 
He says there's nothing in the world that you can attain. There's no amount of cash. There's no uh, a mission you can do. There's no ministry you can have that's going to, there's no qualification there's no resume. Paul is grabbing his resume, which is very thick. He's throwing it away, and he's saying, there's nothing, there's nothing, there is nothing more important than knowing Christ. And I asked you in the beginning, who knows Christ? Who knows Christ in here? I'm in? Go on. Ah, there you go. Okay, and so you know Christ, but what is Paul talking about? So if you look in the original uh, language here, this know is not know about him, right? Because we all know about him. We've all heard of him. No, Paul is talking about something deeper. He's talking about knowing him through experience, personal. And that's where we go when we say, hey, you need to have a personal relationship. You need to know Jesus for yourself. You know, when we look at the attributes of God, we say, oh, he's love. You know, he's all powerful, right? We've heard this. Amen. Okay. And, and, and so here's the, here's the question I have for you. So do you know that? We all know God is love, right? Okay. But do you know that? Do you gnosko? The, the know that Paul's talking about here. Have you experienced his love? Have you experienced his power? Have you experienced his healing power? Have you saw it? Have you experienced it? You know, I, 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 there's, a, there's a restaurant I go to on Fridays, and they have this soup. It's called Talapeno. so good, okay? It, it has rice and chicken, little vegetables in it, okay? And it's the same place. It's super cheap. Love it. It's a Friday date. But my, my, my right-hand man kept telling me, hey, we got this place. It's so good. It's jalapeno. This is what's in it. Super good. Hot. Chicken's great. You know, all this stuff. And he explained it to me. And, and I was like, okay, it sounds good. Sounds really good. But I didn't really know the soup right, right, right. <laughs> until I grabbed it and the, and the party went off in my mouth. Huh? And, and, and that was, and that's knowing it. So you don't know Jesus until you've stepped in and tasted and saw that he's good. Amen. huh? And that's the disconnect. When we start looking at these four men, we're like, why did they do that? We know why they did that, because they knew Jesus. They knew Jesus. You don't go to those great extremes. You don't do all those things without just knowing about him. You don't. I believe Truly, go back with me to Mark 2. So they, they lower the guy down. Verse 5. We got to run through this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are, for, are forgiven you. Now, what did Jesus say? He saw their faith. Let me ask you a question, church. Can people see your faith? Can they see it? Or do you have to say, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Yeah. What if you didn't say anything? Would they see your faith? Would they see your faith? And so here, these four men, he, they, they were, it was a visible faith. It was a visible faith. Verse 6, and some of the scribes were sitting there reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blaspheme like this? 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? I love this. Ready? Check this out. This is so deep. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Now check this out, man. Could you imagine if I had a bunch of slideshows of, in the, in the, in the people said, yeah, you know, like uh, Jesus forgave me. Okay, I'm not going to Bible college. I, I attend church now. No, man. There, there is results, there's fruit, there's action that's taken place from that forgiveness. Those actions are a result of that forgiveness. It's almost like the evidence of the forgiveness, right? Because how many times has somebody said, hey, man, I'm sorry. And then you're like, hmm, they do something over and over again. You're like, you really weren't sorry, right? But when they're sorry, and then they walk that thing out, and there's a change of direction, and a change of attitude, a change of heart, a change of mind, that is repentance. That is forgiveness. You're seeing the result of that forgiveness. Is that correct, church? Do you see that? Now, my question is, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? See, what happened here is there was repentance that took place. Let me share this with you. Repentance isn't just words, okay? In today's society, it's just words, yeah? Oh, forgive me. You know, I know you sent your son, and there was a huge cost. Your son's death for me, but just forgive me. So it's not just words. Repentance is this, if you're, change, if you're taking notes, it's a change of mind, right? Got to change your mind. Change of heart, and it's a change of direction. And that direction is to Jesus, do we understand that? So that, that, it's a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of direction. That's true repentance. And that's what we see here. We see that he was forgiven, and then therefore, what happens next? He told them, hey, you know what? There's going to be people that are going to be doubting this whole thing. You know, they're not going to believe that uh, you could take Jeff Stone, drug addict, you know, a guy that's just a loser, and be able to do anything with him. So you know what we're going to do? I'm going to call you higher, Jeff. I'm going to ask you, hey, hey, don't just go to the mat, okay? But arise. Roll up your past and walk. Walk with me, Jeff. Walk with me on a walk of faith. Walk with me on a journey to go and to save and to preach the gospel to the world, wherever you might go whether it's the U.S., whether it's Mexico, whether it's Guatemala. Walk with me. And that's the encouragement that I have for you today. But the first step we've got to take a look at is what? Repentance. It all goes to repentance. Take a look at what happened when that man was dropped before Jesus. Huh? Physical healing. But here's what happened. We saw your sins are forgiven. Then we saw... Get up and walk. See, we always try to do it the other way. We're saying, hey, we want to clean up our lives here. 
on this earth. And God says, no, 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 that's not the priority. I'm more concerned about your eternal destination than your physical comfort. And so we've got to take that into consideration and say, okay, how am I doing spiritually before I can start taking a look at how I'm doing materially? This is the order. This is the priority that Jesus is teaching us here today. And we've got to, we've got to step back and take a look at this. We've got to step back and take a look at this. Now, in verse 12, he says, Immediately he arose, he took up his bed, and he went out in the presence of them all. What does that mean? That's an obedient faith, right? Because think about this. It's one thing for Jesus to say your sins are forgiven, but if you've been on a mat your whole life, if you've been paralyzed for your whole life, if you've been in fear your whole life, if you've been on drugs your whole life, if you've been in doubt your whole life, if you've been just lost your whole life, that man, he had to believe. His belief went to obedience. Because think about it. He was on that mat his whole life. And Jesus says, Arise. Think about that logically. How do I do that? He was obedient. He immediately did it. And you know what he did? It says that he arose and he went out in front of all, right? He arose and he took up his bed and he went out in the presence of them all publicly. Publicly. This wasn't some secret, this was public. And then guess what? All were amazed. All were amazed and glorified God, and they never saw anything like it. That's what happens, folks. When Jesus gets a hold of you, when you give your life to him completely, your your family's going to say, oh, wow, what happened to them? And all you can tell them is this, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's the work of Jesus in my life. It's an act of faith. It's not something I just talk about. It's something that's happening in my life on a daily basis. Now, what the sad thing in church today, okay, is those seats can be your mat. Jesus, God has sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. He sent his son to forgive you of your sins, just like this man. He says, You've been forgiven. And some of us, the church as a whole, whether you're in United States, whether you're in Mexico, whether you're in Guatemala, whether you're in El Salvador, is sitting on their mats. And Jesus is like, no, no, I didn't, sit my, I didn't send my son to die on the cross so you can just sit there. I sent my son, my son to die on the cross so you can arise and that you can walk a new life. And I have a new life for you. I have a path for you. I want to use you to reach the nations with this great love and this gospel. This story about my son. And so I want to encourage you today to arise. Church, arise. Could you imagine if you arose from these seats and you got up and you said, Lord, here I am. Have your way with me. What would happen in your homes? What would happen with your children? What would happen in your communities? What would happen around this world? And that's the message I have for you today. The message is to arise. Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to sit. To arise and walk with him. The great, great part of the, the uh, Grand Commission is this. Not only does he send you, 
but he goes with you. And so I know that some of us might be afraid, but don't be afraid because he says, hey, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Not only am I going to be every step of the way, I'm going to empower you. I'm going to give you the words. I'm going to be there with you. It's going to be a work of me in and through you. Guys, you've got to experience this. You've got to get on board. Because when we start to step back and take a look and say, hey, what is life really about? That's it. That's it. Because I want to share one more verse with you, and you, you, can, you can stand behind me. And uh, in Matthew chapter 7, check this out. We all know this verse, and it's pretty powerful. He says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will, the will of my Father in heaven. Check this out. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Have I not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, or done many wonders in your name? That right there, just that right there, eliminates a great percentage of the church. Sometimes I know in our church, in Guatemala, just to get somebody to take out the trash can be a little issue. Maybe to show up on, for us, it's show up on time, right? We're like, how could you ask me to be on time? You know, and I'm like... Uh, how could I not? Okay, so get in the game. So here's what, here's what he says. He says, Lord, we've prophesied. We've cast out demons. We've done wonders in your name. And then in verse 23, this is the shocker. And then I will declare this, Jesus. Then I will declare to, you, to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What does he mean? I never knew you. What do you mean? How can you know? This is, this is Jesus. Scott, how can you not know me? He knows everybody. It's gnosko. It's gnosko. It's not know about. It's know through experience. Do you see? Jesus loves you so much that he wants a personal relationship with you daily. He, he doesn't want you just to read about him like he's a newspaper. He wants you to experience him personally with this relationship that's so intimate so intimate are you willing are you willing to hear the voice today that says arise arise no longer sit in these chairs don't sit in your mat jesus loves you jesus loves you and if god can do what you saw in these pictures which these pictures don't even spell out the things that's happening with a guy like me oh lord what could he do with an audience like you. Amen. Amen. Amen.